Welcome to Risky Business with Bo York. I'm your host, Bo York. And today, we're talking all about the blurry lines between product development and crafting art. But first, a little bit of history. In 1929, at the Galerie La Centure in Brussels, Belgium, the world was first introduced to the treachery of images by then 30-year-old Belgian surrealist painter René-Francois Gisley Magritte. Known for his propensity for horror, whimsy, and mystery, René joined with his fellow surrealist contemporaries in constantly testing the boundaries and the authority of both words and images through his art. And never perhaps was it more evident than in this work, depicting a simple bent billiard briar pipe with the French words scribbled below, Sisi n'est pas un pipe, which translates in English to, this is not a pipe. Much has been said about this painting and its ability to flip the tables on the expectations of the viewer. That, of course, an image of a pipe is not a pipe. But then, I mean, can a pipe truly ever be in an artistically rendered state? Or maybe art takes this source and it transcends it into a completely new being. Or maybe the imitation will always be a superficial and flat shadow of the real. And all of this causes me to wonder if the Surrealists were in some small way early pioneers of immersive theater and their ability to bring in the viewer, their audience, and make them in that moment of contemplation, part of the art itself. Ironically, René avoided in-depth analysis of his own work. And so perhaps he would have appreciated my desire to parody the treachery of images several years ago with a meme announcing the newly minted logo of a pipe-shaped microphone with the words, this is not a podcast. For 10 years, Country Squire Radio was the number one pipe podcast that gave a rallying point for pipe enthusiasts seeking knowledge, community, and thoughtful conversation around the craft. My guest today is John David Cole, my former co-host of Country Squire Radio and the owner and tobacconist of the Country Squire in Jackson, Mississippi. As a craftsman, John David has an intrinsic understanding of how art and product development can, or at least should, be deeply intertwined. And as a retailer, he understands the experience-driven economy that sustains his artistry through telling a story. All right, John David Cole, welcome to Risky Business, Bo York. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great, brother. It's good to see you. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. It's good to see you as well. Now, I've given people a little bit of uh, your background, but you know, talking John David Cole, the craftsman, uh, the tobacconist. How would you kind of tell your story of how you kind of ended up? in this business that you're currently in. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you've you've heard me, you know, tell a story a, a zillion times, but you know, essentially I'm a seminary dropout that found himself, you know, managing a uh, mom and pop, you know, historic mom and pop uh pipe and tobacco shop uh that was founded in 1970 and you know, was working here part-time and the owner, you know, passed away. They needed someone to to fill in and uh, kind of run the business for them. And eventually I bought the business uh, from the family. And um, yeah, man, I'm a, I was a history major. I'm like a, you know, I'm a failed financial advisor and seminary dropout. And here I am uh, slinging pipe tobacco and selling cigars and just, just having a ball, man. Now, of course, obviously we've got quite a history together. We uh, yeah. started a podcast about 10 years ago and uh, had quite a run uh, during that time. We did, and I think man. one of the things that's so fascinating is that in that time we we basically did uh 500 consistent weekly episodes every week where we really 
talked about pipe tobacco from the lens of kind of telling the story of the shop, but also like the craft, the different products and that sort of thing. How did we do that exactly? Because I every, every time like, people ask me like, how did you come up with, you know, weekly content to talk about pipe tobacco? I think, you know, that's the question we always got, especially when we started, right? Or like the first couple of years, you know, was like, hey, well, so you, you talk about pipes and pipe tobacco every week? <laughs> like, yeah. And, and and it's like, well, how do you how do you do that <laughs> every week, you know, mining for for more and more content? And um, yeah, you know, it's it's part of the beauty of what uh, I do for a living, you know, managing a retail store and, and running a shop like that and and having an online business as well is just we, you know, regularly have content that walks through the door. And um, and so, you know, having that, um, you know, ability to just, you know, mine our daily and weekly experiences and and put that on air is uh is was really wonderful you know and of course as a you know a historic shop that has a physical location we have all these stories to tell that's interesting and fun and it kind of you know has the chance to invite people from around the world into our story and you know to feel to feel that and so um yeah we just um you know we were able to able to really do that and um and I think we did a pretty good job at it yeah it's interesting, right? Because I feel like there's kind of like three different levels to you know your work that really speak on this kind of uh, idea of of communicating story and kind of living into this kind of crafts, right? You've got the experience of the store, which is like you're, you yeah. craft an experience. You inherited kind of a shop with a history and experience, but then you have to kind of shepherd that and 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 you know help to craft and maintain that as it ebbs and flows with just the the general you know what the customers in the market are looking for sure. but then you've got these products of the pipe which itself is very much a work of art it's it is a carved uh piece of wood that just like anything especially the the handcrafted ones but even even the ones that have gone through like the assembly line but you know you look at today some of the custom work that's out there these these hand carved pipes you can't hold that you can't look at that and not see a, a very specific and intentional work of physical yeah. art. And then of course there's the pipe tobacco, which you yourself are a blender of. So I, I'd kind of like to talk about all three of these things. Yeah. 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 Let's, let's, let's start off with the experience because I mean, one of the reasons why you and I even kind of got started doing what we were doing back then was trying to capture the experience of kind of coming into this mom and pop shop. What does that look like? How did you, how did you kind of define what the experience of the country squire is? Yeah, I mean, we it's one of those places, if you've ever been to like a historic shop that feels like Cheers, you know, and it's got that sense of like, man, folks are coming in and they're, you know, immediately being like known and drawn into the conversation and guys are telling fishing stories. And, you know, it's just it's a it's a fun, warm environment that people get excited about being in, and, you know, and we had some stories along the way that were interesting. And so, you know, we wanted to invite people into that to share that and and really you know it, it's really just kind of telling the stories that are already there curating it to make sure that we're protecting our you know um our image and brand and and you know and making sure that the legacy of that continues in the right direction um and so just um you know really kind of defining who we are you know realizing who we are being true to that and then uh telling our stories to the to the public it was um 
it's kind of a no-brainer. We wanted people, you know, obviously you've got folks all over the world that are interested in what we do, but they don't have a shop like ours in their location. So how do we, you know, if someone's in Hackensack, New Jersey, like how do we make them feel like they're a part of what we're doing mm. to invite them into that story? And that was really the goal. And, um, you know, over time we, we did a lot of that, you know, we, we developed a lot of uh, relationships with people that, um, you know, eventually not just became customers, but became friends and even, you know, went as far as, you know, to drive a thousand miles to come to our shop to, to hang out with us. And that was, um, that, that was, that was a really special thing. Yeah. Let's, let's, can we, can we get real for for a minute here? Always real, Bo. <laughs> yeah, always, right. Always real. So, like, here's the thing. And people who've never worked in sales don't understand this. Mm-hmm. But part of customer service and sales, there is a distinctly theatrical aspect of that. Sure. In that who you are when you're on the job, when you're selling something or when you're dealing with a customer, they don't know, like, you as a person right? They know like this representative that you've kind of curated and crafted of what you want them to know or experience when they come into the shop, right? Like yeah. whether or not they consider it or they, they see it through this lens, they have entered into like this theatrical experience of this character that you have crafted of trying to be <laughs> this, this salesperson. And, right. and that goes for anybody. I mean, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're the happy-go-lucky salesman, right? I mean, what, or you know, whatever industry you're in, yeah. Well, theoretically, I, I, different people yeah. have different approaches to, like, uh, you know, a, a, that's fair. Yeah, we've both had the opportunity in, in various stages of our career to manage salespeople, and so you you see how different people, that's, that's you know, do walk that for their for <laughs> their particular way of doing it. But here's the, what I find fascinating, because you have that experience of you know managing sales folks, being kind of on the floor from that standpoint, and having got into that crafted you know persona. But because of the last 10 years, being a public figure in your industry, you've also got this, you know, a a vulnerable aspect of who you are, but not necessarily a full aspect of who you are, where you have been kind of a a pseudo celebrity and performed on a weekly basis to the (laughs) industry. So I'm I'm curious, like, how do those three U's show up when you're trying to kind of craft the Country Squire experience? Because you've got that person who's Mm. coming in to buy something. But yeah. especially if they come in and they know your work from, you know, from podcasts and everything else. And then you've also got your own, you know, minutia and, you know, wife, kids and everything else behind the scenes that, you know, is not necessarily everybody else's business. Right. How do you manage that? Yeah, it, it is tough. And there's some some things customers just don't need to know. You know, they don't need right. to know that, you know, what on earth I went to the doctor for, you know, last week or whatever it is. Um in but but also you know in in our case uh both in the store and i think on the the podcast that we developed for so long like you know both of us just tried to be really authentic you mm-hmm. know and and it, it just was that i don't think everybody that's not necessarily the right thing for everyone to do but for us it seemed right you know it the, it fit our um conversational style, the sense that you and I are very close friends. And so we're just catching up every time we get on the microphone together and that kind of thing. And so it was really easy for me to be just authentic with people. And, you know, I I was telling someone yesterday, like one of my biggest flaws as a person, (laughs) I really do mean this, is is wearing my emotions on my sleeve. Mm -hmm. Like, like if you walk in the door, you immediately know like, oh, he's not having a good day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that. And, and I, you know, as a, it, it's amazing that our customers and, uh, you know, uh, have been as gracious to me as they have been because, 
you know, when, when I'm having a great day, man, I'm a, I'm a good host and I'm a great retailer and I'm, I'm going to take good care of you. And when I'm having a bad day, I'm still going to take care of you, but you're going to know I'm sad. <laughs> well, okay. But see, this is interesting, right? Because I know for a fact, there's been days on the podcast back when we were recording, yeah. when you would come in and you would not be in a good mood or yeah. even like we would be at odds yeah. with each other, but then we'd like get on the mic yeah. and we turn it on. You flip the switch, baby. Yeah. Wouldn't and have that, any idea. <laughs> that's true. That, that is, that is true. Yeah. And you, so you have to. I, I guess that's true for any business to some degree. Even if you're an attorney or, uh, you know, certainly someone like a teacher who's got to get up there in front of people. Like, you know, you're you, you have to um, you've got a job to do, and people are depending on you. And um, you know, so you better you better be happy and dance, dance, baby, dance. <laughs> the show must go on, as they say. <laughs> it's got to, yeah. I I do feel like though, if you don't let, maybe this is just me, and you know, again, I self admittedly like wear my emotions on my sleeve. But I do feel like if you don't let your guard down a little bit at work, mm-hmm. if you always have on a facade, if if you're wor- if you're really in a career that you want to stay in for a long time and you always have this persona facade that you just never let anyone behind the curtain even a little bit, like, is that sustainable? You know, and 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 maybe yeah. for some people it is, but I, I don't think I could have a soul and and go do something every single day if I didn't if there wasn't a human element in what I do, you know, so that's very interesting because this mm-hmm. so this gets, you know, it's interesting that you take it there because, uh, you know, there's a presumed intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. In customer service, but especially again, just kind of from the podcast standpoint, where because there's been a lot of authentic kind of displays of who you are, who we are on microphone, there's a presumed level of intimacy that people have with us. That we've never met, yeah. And you know, I'd say that a, a lot of people get that and kind of understand that, even though that intimacy is kind of is exactly that presumed, they understand that there needs to be a barrier. And some yeah. people don't understand that barrier. That can happen on a customer service level too. Absolutely. This is, this is fascinating because this is in, in terms of like immersive theater, which obviously is is where my headspace is a lot these days. Right. One of the big discussions we're having is we want to create these moments of truth where there's intimacy and the audience has agency to be in these intimate spaces. Hmm. But it's a dance because you can only control on your side as as the performer, like how much you're you know giving to the audience, which obviously as you were just saying, you want to maintain that level of truth. You want to maintain the authenticity to be it to the moment or or to yourself or whatever it is. Yeah. But there is also this aspect of the audience's role where, you know, if they're taking it too far, (laughs) you know what I mean? They're kind of violating this, this, this contract that's never really been written, never really been stated. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. And maybe again, if we're getting a little real here, like how, how how have you handled that? I you know I could share some of my own thoughts on that, but I want to know how you've handled that before. Yeah, I th- I think you know the, it it's being willing on the backside. You know, if someone is going to come in and um, you know, feel like you're kind of being a little encroached upon, you know, as a as an individual or as someone that just you know is a public figure or whatever, even if it's in a you know very particular. Uh, niche industry, but you know, you people know you, and they have no information about you. It's just if if someone tries to exploit that or um, take advantage of it in a way that feels inappropriate, like I, I, I've just um, I, you, you, I've had to develop muscle over the years to 
draw strong boundaries, you know, yeah. and, and, and commute the, the, the hard thing, the hardest part of it is to communicate those boundaries, to let people know like, Hey, I, you know, I'm glad, man, thank you so much for supporting me and stuff. But like, that's, you know, that's just kind of my stuff, you know, right. <laughs> or right. I'm, you know, especially, um, you know, in our industry, like, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm not going to give you my cell phone number. You know, it's <laughs> right. just not right. it's just right, right. something that's not going to happen. Like you're no, I'm sorry. You, you cannot have my, uh, my home mailing address to send me a Christmas card. Like now, you know, and it's funny, some people you do, uh, become close enough with to develop some of that. I was about and to so, say, like, in the, I feel like so in the you early do. days yeah. you did that more freely, and I was like, nope, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. <laughs> yeah, that's the funny. Like, you know, it, some people I really have gotten very close to. I mean, some of our listeners and customers eventually became such good yeah. friends that they came to my wedding and yeah. uh, even our my one of my kids' baptisms, and you know, I mean, just stuff <laughs> like that that's really, really special. And so, you know, you kind of figure out you know, who, who can have that kind of access once it, you know, becomes real. But, um, but yeah, you have to, you have to, you know, be strong willed when it comes to your boundaries. I think that's important. When I think what you just said too, about communication is key, like establishing those lines. And when they're not being, when the lines are not being perceived, then being very clear, because there's, there's something to be said, like when you meet somebody for the first time, you don't say like, all right, let me be very clear about what the nature of our relationship is right now. You know what I mean? Like that's not, that's not right. how people interact. You, you kind of feel it out from that standpoint, it's but there's like times you start... when, you know, if somebody oversteps, then there is a time to be like, okay, now it's time to be clear you yeah. know, because of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, as, as uncomfortable as that might be like it, it's gonna, it's gonna save you a lot more heartache doing that than yeah letting it go too far, you know, and, you know, it's not like you're, you know, starting every advertising experience or every, um, you know, promotion or every, um, you know, podcast or whatever it is, you know, you're not every YouTube video, you're not starting every one of those things by saying, okay, I will tell you about myself and like, we're going to touch on some stuff, but like, you can't call me, you can't, talk to me about this. Right, these topics right, right. are on limits, but yeah, these topics are, names, are, you know? are full, off limit. Like I'm just, we're not going to go through this whole dog and pony show, after, right, you know, right. before every like disclaimer, uh, you know, kind of deal. So um, yeah, you know, it, it is a dance and, uh, but there again, I, I do feel like there needs to be some type of connectivity, at least for myself, self professionally to, to enjoy what I do. I, I need to have some kind of emotional connection to, um, to the client, to the listener, yeah. to the, you know, that that's, that's important for me. Yeah. That's good, man. Absolutely. Well, so that's, that's, that's one part, right? That's kind of one half of this thing, which is the experience aspect of it. But then there's the other aspect of the actual crafts that are being created. And, you know, I was very recently uh, in Ireland and I was there during, um, oh, one of these, these kind of artistic uh, fringe fest type things that were, was going on at the time. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. We we weren't able to see nearly as many shows as we wanted to, but I caught this one particular show called Dog Shit. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. It, the, it was people went to that. I know, right? It was written by, and I'm going to butcher this, but Bella Ray uh, Bertrand Webb, I believe. I think I'm pronouncing the name right, but I apologize, of course, if if I'm uh, mispronouncing it. But it's fantastic. And what this play was was in kind of a satirical exploration of the relationship between theater and tech. And mm. like you had these two characters that were like deep into theater and these two characters that were deep into the tech industry. And with kind of this overlap of the two with one of the characters having kind of grown up and, and been kind of part of the theater world, but 
you know, success wasn't coming. So she transitioned over to the tech world where now she's making the dollars, but all the theater kids are starving. And really what it was doing was it was shining a light at at, like both of these groups and kind of pointing out the similarities and the way they hate each other, but they're really just kind of circularly like hating themselves in the process. And it gets to this, this, this reality, which is the nature of art and product development, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, product development, creating something is an art form. Like like the product that you are crafting, you are literally creating it with some intentionality behind it, hopefully with a lot of passion. You can yeah. see what's when things are not created with passion, you get a sloppy product, nobody's going to want it just from a business right. standpoint. It's just not going to succeed. Right. So there's a lot of like artistry that kind of gets overlooked, I think, from the outside looking in about product development and vice versa when it comes to kind of crafting art. If you're not doing so in a sustainable way, then you end up creating something very pretty that people can look at for five seconds and then it'll never they'll never see the light of day again. Being in my business is is interesting because I see I feel like I see this a lot. And mm. and and you know <laughs> to use a, a, a terrible turn of phrase related to what you just, you know, the the play you just saw. I, I, I'm I'm smelling what you're stepping in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, yeah. so for instance, like we have, you know, in in our industry, like uh, we sell a lot of cigars. The experience of buying a cigar is very special because they're all incredibly it's eye candy. You know, they're all on the shelf. It's not like you're buying a, you know, sack of potatoes or something. Like it's <laughs> the 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 whole selecting the cigar, it's standing out on the shelf, the beauty of the box that was crafted the type of uh, you know wrapping that it's been put in the um, all the imagery and logos and uh, feel and aesthetic of it has to be so incredibly thoughtful mm. but it means nothing if the cigar sucks you know <laughs> right and so whoever blended that cigar whoever made that recipe you know it, it that part's got to stand up too and and it's like it, it no one's going to buy it again if it doesn't but on the flip side like you have to work really hard even if you don't want to you have to work really hard on the on the visual aesthetic all that stuff i talked about showing up on the shelf because if you don't then you're perfectly good maybe exquisite product you know, it, it's it's like trying to sell a Hab- Fabergé egg if it's covered underneath a basket. You know, like <laughs> right, if people yeah. can't see the beauty of it and experience that, like they're not going to be inspired to try it. You know, yeah. and so it's there's this really interesting work that has to go into um, telling the story of the product, but also making sure that the product is is quality. Yeah. Um, and and then on top of that, you have to give thought about. You know, if you're advertising, if you're if you're you know doing any kind of marketing, like how is your marketing? Is your marketing are are you marketing the same way that you know Publix or Kroger is marketing, or are you marketing like a like a funky, quirky shop in a you know weird southern town? Like, and does that fit your deal? You know what I mean? It, right. All, and 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 so that takes work. It's um, it's hard. Um, but. But all those things coming together moves the needle, you know, when it comes to the customer experience and and sales. So, I mean, I mentioned I was in Ireland. It wasn't just in Ireland. We also popped up to Scotland for like five seconds. And I went and I visited Ardbeg, the, uh, you know, the yeah, Scotch distillery, distillery yeah. there. Now, you know, I've, 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 I've full disclosure, I'm, I've never been a huge fan of Ardbeg. I know that there's mm-hmm. a lot of like diehard. Really peaty, right? Yeah. Very, when I, I typically like Pete, but I don't know. There's just something, something about theirs that just doesn't hit my palate right. Yeah. But, Regardless, you know, you think about their imagery 
and it's got kind of like this almost Norse-esque with kind of the Celtic carvings yeah. and all that kind of good stuff into it. Well, so at the distillery, they were showcasing a lot of kind of their new marketing and it was very American comic book, Aww. which does not Aww. fit at all. <laughs> like, Yeah, it, it goes with what we were just discussing. It's like, that's not that's not their DNA. No, like and it's yeah. it completely does it. And, and I'm like, all right, maybe they're on to something that the rest of us is just not connecting with, like, because they're trying right. to connect with the new market. But to me, it just seems as though like I, I don't know if I'm if I'm that guy, and I am that guy, but I don't know that like I I connect like or I want to connect kind of enjoying a high-end scotch with more of like a Saturday morning cartoons. You know what I mean? Like that, those things don't necessarily blend. Yeah. You know, it, it, you think about like, you know, the first thing comes to my mind, we, we've both talked about that uh, kind of immersive art experience in Las Vegas, the Omega yeah. Mart thing, right? Omega so, Mart, fantastic. so cool. It's got such an interesting experience. You know, if you, if you ever go to Las Vegas, please, please go check that out because it's just fascinating, but you know, it, it it's, it's funky. It's weird. It's surreal. It's, I, I don't even have the adjectives for it. <laughs> you wouldn't advertise for that necessarily in the Wall Street Journal, you know? Right. Like that's not that's not the play there. Like you, you like you're not gonna you're not gonna you know make that experience in a you know uh, the Bookman style Gothic kind of you know type set or whatever i i don't know it's just that that's not authentic for what they're trying to to push you know yeah um no, it is interesting though because it's it's a there's there's kind of a middle ground though with this but it so when they first when omega mart from uh meow wolf when they when they were doing kind of the early days of what that experience was like when they didn't have but like you know two pennies to rub together yeah they created this like garage sale like they did it in a garage essentially where it was kind of like the same type of it was just the grocery portion of it which was kind of a grocery with all this surrealist product right that was kind of yeah. a commentary on capitalism because what isn't these days but it's like you know like all of these different you know weird kind of items around and everything uh -huh. else but in order to advertise it they took out an ad in the paper announcing the grand opening of this new grocery store at this oh, house. that's brilliant. Yeah. So people came to and which was part of the art exhibit. And so even the people <laughs> that came to it, not realizing what it was, kind of became part of the art exhibit, maybe a wow. little against their like, you know, will. Yeah, right. Consent, right. Kind of a little false advertising. Yeah, there, but, like, but I mean, like <laughs> it fit what they were trying to do. And so like yeah. from that standpoint, if but again, that's that speaks to the intentionality of knowing exactly what they are and what yeah. they're trying to communicate. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just it's uh, so interesting. Yeah. I'd like to show up to something like that and see the people that are just there for toilet paper and they're not going to get that. <laughs> you know, but, but, but going back, the, the, that culture piece is really important mm -hmm. because all of a sudden you've made these connoisseurs of whatever your art form is and, and they expect more and they want, they want more and they think about it more and they're fascinated by it more. They're fascinated by the science of it and the economics of it. And they, then they want to support you because it's a bigger part of their life. And so, you know, it, it's for us, it's not always a disappointing thing. You know, we blend pipe tobacco for a living, which is a lot like baking, you know, and, um, and, and it's not always a disappointing thing when people come in and they're like, Hey, you didn't blend this, but like, I want you to try this, like t taste this, try this, smell this, like, what do you think about this? And then all of a sudden their gears are turning, my gears are turning, 
you know, maybe I make something similar, but that's got our own twist on it. And, and that person is drawn into the process. And so they love it even that much more. It's, um, I don't know, that's part of the fun. If you're really an artist and, and, you know, you love what you do and you love the, the reason you do it, you want more people to do it, you know, and, and, and that's, that's frankly good for business. Absolutely. Well, John David, man, thank you so much for hopping back on the mic with me. Oh, I know man. it's been a minute since we've done this. It's, it, it's an honor though, man. I, I love what you're doing and um, man, just thrilled to be a little part. And um, yeah, thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Risky Business with Bo York. I've been your host, Bo York, and you can follow me on Instagram at incognitebo. You can learn more about the projects that I'm working on at interaor.com. That's interaor.com. And if all that spelling is too crazy, don't worry. The links are in the show notes. Be sure to check back in the next few weeks for the latest episode. And until next time, I've been Bo York, and this has been Risky Business.